Today I feel like it's a crime to keep you too late because today is a beautiful day. Um, it's also the 1st of July. It's a good month. Um, I'm just glad to be here uh, with you guys. Um, if you'll bow your heads with me. Uh, dear Father in heaven, um, I ask that you uh, guide us and direct us. Keep us safe. And Lord, um, thank you for that blessing of the music. Uh, Lord, you are truly a mighty bulwark. Be with my words. And Father, um, you are greater than I and I am a sinner and a big one at that. I ask that you come into my heart and let your words be spoken in your name. Amen. I have to admit, one reason out of many that I uh, picked this church uh, to uh, join uh, has to be the children's stories. Um, One of my favorite was sitting in the back. Yes, it's funny. Life classroom is like a microcosm of society. If you'll all look around, just like my classroom, most of the people are at the back, very few at the front. Um, but I was sitting in the back, yes, ever since I was in a uh, little kid in elementary school, I love the back. Um, a, you can't get caught, or it's harder to, and B, you get to see everything else. And uh, the children's story was going, and um, <laughs> I usually am not too jumpy, except for around the 4th of July. But I'm sitting in the back, and you see people's heads nodding off, and then you also see people paying attention, but I remember, man, it got quiet, and she was drawing us in. And all of a sudden, she gets real loud. And everyone, I kid you not, everyone, huh? I was like, this, this I can do. This church is awesome. Um, so it's interesting, too. I make my wife nervous. Lorraine asked me for a title and, and Pastor Talay. And see with me, I am a procrastinator, but I don't mean to be, especially on sermons. I truly, uh, I, I, I mull it over like a good meal all week. I'm not one. Uh, my relationship and everyone's relationship with God is different. My relationship with God is God spends the week with me. I am also tempted that week beyond anything else. I really am like, really, really this week? And I forget, oh, it's because I'm, I'm preaching. I remember. No, but uh, it seems uh, I like mulling it over. So uh, when Lorraine asked me and Pastor Talay was like, hey, can you give it to uh, Lorraine Tuesday or Wednesday? I was like, Oh, man, normally it's not till Thursday, but I'll do what, see what I can do. So if you look at my sermon, I'm going to explain this out. Does this title ring a bell? Where is it from? Okay, one of my favorite things is Adventures in Odyssey. I am still a little kid at heart. Whether I'm working out, see people when I'm at the gym, they think I'm listening to hard rock or I'm listening to rap or classical. I don't know. But really, what I'm listening to? Adventures in Odyssey, or talk shows, or medieval classical music. I, I love Thomas Tallis. My wife is like, it's like stepping back when we first got married. She's like, it's like stepping back into the Middle Ages with you. Because um, it soothes me. It relaxes me. But I love those. And one thing that came to my mind as I was praying over is the great wishy-washy. It is a fantastic story. Now, I have never been one to sit and watch a movie. It drives my wife and everyone else around me nuts. I don't want to say it's ADD, but it is ADD or ADHD, one of the labels. I probably have many. For me, I get halfway to a movie and I'm like, all right, let's go work on this. Let's go do this. Let's go do this. Then I'll come back 15 minutes later. Okay, that was great. Let's go do this. I can do this. And then I'll get out to the end of it. So I have never been able to sit through um, many movies, which would surprise Surprise people, but I'm okay with that. But also the Adventures of Oz, the Wizard of Oz. But this 
the great wishy-wash Adventures in Odyssey took and made it into a spiritual story, and it's called The Great Wishy-Waz. And what it is, is a story when they, get, they go through this fantastic journey, just like The Great Wizard of Oz, and they get there. And this guy is no backbone, no nothing. He is the great wishy-waz. So that came into my head. I was a little scared, but I was like, okay, God, we'll go with that. So I texted her, and then I was like, all right, now that we got that covered, Lord, we need a Bible verse to go with this. I don't know, there is nowhere in the Bible that says the great wishy-was. Luckily, Google is awesome. So I typed in, and I was like, God, what do you want me to type? I am telling you verbatim. And into my head popped, what does the Bible say on doing what's right? And I was like, okay, we'll try and connect this. So I type it in, and Isaiah 117 popped up, and in my head, it said, that is your verse. This is how God and I work. I am okay with that. Most people, I've learned, cannot fly by the wire with God. But for me, I love it. Sometimes God's like, hey, you are on this road, but I really want you to go over there on that road. And so we adjust, acquiesce all over the place. But I love it. Another thing, though, that I got here today, and my wife was like, all all right. So this is her throughout the week. So uh, got got that sermon written? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm working on it. I got it. It's it's all up here. And knowing, you know, many of you are parents or individuals. You know, when people say it's all up here, most of the time, it's nowhere. (laughs) But with me, it is. I honestly, I think about it. I am the most random person ever. My students will tell you um, I am random because I will be doing something and I'll be like, most intense topic, and I'll be like, oh, man. I need to go pick this up at the grocery store later. And then I'll go do a sticky note, plop it down, we'll come back. But for me, I, 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 I ruminate on it all week. How many of you like food? Good meal. You ruminate on it, right? You can't just, you can't just rush into it. I may look like a big brute, but cooking is my, my de-stressor. You just, you can't watch the Food Network and rush it. You gotta, you gotta work it. And then you, you got, with good ingredients, you can't just, you're gonna, you're gonna burn your meal. You just gotta work with it. So a sermon's a lot like that. This week, though, too, um, it's interesting. My father, we have what is known as the curse of the Fergusons. If it is going to happen, it's going to happen to us. But see, it does not happen to all Fergusons. Ferguson families, and I kid you not, they come in fours. And for most of us, it is either twin boys, twins, two sets of twins, or it's all boys. My uncles, they all have Two boys and a husband and wife. So my dad calls me this week. And, he, and I have to laugh because I've learned to accept the beast. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. And I remember my dad literally sat me down. And he goes, Stephen, you're about 12. I'm going to uh, welcome you in on this fact. He's like, if it is going to happen, it's going to happen to you. But he said... One reason, I, you know, of course, as many kids say, why? And then he said, and it was something that stuck with me, because God knows you can take it. And I've always been that way. After being in the military and being on ruck marches, oh, man, how many of you have been done hiking or long-distance hiking? The first few miles are killer, right? Oh, you just, like, after a mile, you're like, hey, I'm, yeah, okay, this is cool. Nature, woo, pack on my back, not worth it. Ruck marches taught me everything. 
you got to get used to the beast on your back. Because it may always be there. Some loads may be lighter than others. Some may have it easier. But you know and God knows what you can take. And so this week I've been mulling it over. Like, God, okay, I have the great wishy-was. And I have our key text. But what do you want me to talk about? And my dad um, um, called me and he said, yeah, hey, I was driving down the road. They just bought a car um, a couple months ago. And uh, the engine locked up as he was passing a semi going 70 miles an hour. I was like, and this is my dad and I. And he's laughing. And I'm going, really? And he's like, yes. And he's like, and I'm going to pick up your... See? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, I'm going to pick up your brother and, and sister-in-law. And see, the, the, the Ferguson thing does not happen to my brother. I still think he's adopted. Um, but it doesn't happen to him. Or the theory is it's just building up like a volcano. Someday. But... Um, he called me, and it's funny, because he's like, hey, while I'm talking to you, um, I also have uh, some questions. Now, see, I've had to get used to this. On the outside, I may look like, hey, you know, he doesn't read a lot. He doesn't do a lot of this or that. But I learned a long time ago as a kid, I would rather have people think that I'm not smart but inside, I'm smart. A, you won't get volunteered for a lot of things. <laughs> B, I am an observer. I like sitting back and watching things and then giving an opinion or, or doing something. I would rather, much rather, be in the background, and I know it's ironic because I'm up here, and have someone else up front, or we all successful, than for me just to do everything and give all the answers. But I've gotten used to this. I have friends and families. I even have college professors call me, and they have PhDs in Greek literature. Boring. Uh, but they have PhDs, and they'll call me, and I know how it always goes. Hey, while I have you on the phone, I got a question for you. And usually, it turns into three or four. But this time, he asked me. And it's really awkward when you get to that relationship with your parents, right? When you realize they're people, too. They don't have all the answers. And it's really weird when your parents ask you for advice. That seems backwards. They need to make a manual with all the answers of the universe that we just hand out to parents. That way you know eventually you don't have to, to go to your kids for advice. But my dad, he goes to me and he asks me some deep spiritual things. One was that this uh, whole, I don't know, there's so many letters in this, LGBTQ, all that stuff. He asked me uh, because their school and the principal um, um, later emailed me and called me, uh, which is, here's a, here's a life lesson, random thought for Ferg, if there's any young people. Your former principals someday could be your boss or potential hires. My principal luckily loved me, but I was that kid. Uh, I was in the principal's office quite often in a boarding school, and in two years, I was suspended 12 times, but they were not... How do I say this? Not bad times. It was just, it became the term, it's Stephen being Stephen. But, you know, it was. But I had a good relationship. And they, they both uh, asked, um, what does the Bible say? And it's really weird. And I'll, I'll admit, and some of you are like, well, why are they principles and stuff? But the thing is, 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 it's hard because there's so many opinions out there, right? There's so many things. There's so many things. And, and a lot of times, people don't want to turn to the Bible, right? Or the Bible's right there, and we don't want to say what's in front of us. Now, I'm not getting off on political things, but that ties into the great wishy-was today. 
Because let's turn to Isaiah 1.17. Isaiah 1.17. So there's these many things, but things that I teach in my Bible class that we, we really kind of, kind of don't focus on. There's a lot of great Bible verses in the Bible that go overlooked. And Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and I would even add in there, motherless. Plead the widow's cause. Now see, there's this movement, and I will admit, my brother and sister-in-law, they are the righteous avengers of uh, social justice on social media. I had to learn to hide on my Facebook page. I really don't get on there that much, but when I did, I don't want to see that stuff. And, um, you know, it's been striking me lately. How many of you, by a show of hands, are Christian? Okay. How many of you are Christian? Now, I want you to take a moment what, and think to yourself, what does that mean? Follower of the way. I love that term. It's in the Bible. It's in the early church, the way. But I want you to take a moment. Apparently my iPad's taking a moment too. What does it mean to be a Christian? So oftentimes, we focus on the New Testament, Old Testament, right? That's where we get a lot of our, our stories, a lot of what we teach. And we kind of forget that there have been people, even in the modern era, that have exemplified what it means to be a Christian. One is ironic enough, is this is for Dr. Verde, give him a shout out. Last Sabbath, um, I knew a, I liked Dr. Verde from the first Sabbath school I sat in there, but he said that he liked Abraham Lincoln, am I correct? Yes. So, July 1st, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed the first income tax bill. Ironic enough, July 1st, 1863, a year later, to the date, beginning of the Battle of Gettysburg. Whether, whatever they were fighting for, maybe it was because of taxes. We as Americans tend to fight a lot about taxes. But it's Abraham Lincoln. How many of you know about Abraham Lincoln? He failed a lot. He had a nervous breakdown. He was not a successful man. And personally, if you look at him, I'm just going to be blunt, he is ugly. He is an ugly giant. But... He never let that stop him. Would we label Abraham Lincoln as the great wish he was? No. One of his greatest quotes that I personally have seen tattooed. I don't know why you would get tattoos on your back because you can't see it for yourself as inspiration. But I've seen tattooed. I've seen uh, on posters. I've seen everywhere. But this one stuck with me from elementary school history class. Be sure you put your feet in the right place, then stand firm. So if we're Christians, what is the right place? I want us to look back. Isaiah 117. This guy, a prophet of God, wrote this a long time ago. But let's look at what putting our feet in the right place is. Learn. It says learn. Why would we have to learn? Human nature is inherently 
I like to say skewed, okay? But it's, it, there's just something off. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I just have to laugh. Have you ever seen, especially lately on TV shows, I don't watch many, but they are just depressing. They just, there's lots of killing or end of the world. I'm like, guys, okay, even if I wasn't an Adventist, if I just watched ABC, NBC, CBS, all these shows, I would become one because I'd be like, okay, why all of a sudden the last like five years has everything just been into the world? But what? Human nature is skewed. So then we come to this and it says, be sure your feet are in the right place. What is that? It's the learning to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, and above all else, follow God. Now, I didn't say learn about God, because that's actually pretty easy, right? Did you know the Bible is the best-selling book for about a century now? It doesn't even compare. And yet, look at our world. Many people learn about God, right? But do, here's the question. Do they follow God? Abraham Lincoln had some tough choices. And what's funny, and again, I'm not being political at all. I am farthest from the political. But we skew presidents and other stuff for decisions they make. But if you look at constitutional law, what Abraham Lincoln is celebrated for most is the Emancipation Proclamation, correct? But what he did was extremely unconstitutional. But was it the right thing to do? Yes. I wish that our founding fathers would have just had more of a backbone and said, we are not going to stand for slavery in this country. But with God, there is no what if. God knows everything. And the Civil War is one of those moments that you have to think, how can this happen? Because you have to remember that there were still people alive in the 1940s and 1950s when we went through the World Wars. Yes, it's proven that we're alive during the Civil War. How often history repeats itself. And how ugly and uglier it can get. We actually, if you look at human history, whether you're, whether you're a Christian or an evolutionist or whatever, but I'm glad, I would hope all of us in here are creationists, we actually have not been where we're at for a long time. Even in the Civil War, they were still cramming gunpowder and lead balls down a musket. And they were still using swords. Can you imagine being born in the 1860s, and then you're witnessing, you're an older person, but you are witnessing World War II, machine guns, and you would have even witnessed World War I. The horror humanity can bring. Am I correct? And most of this is done by people that say they're Christians. Now we, we move forward, and see, the Civil War is one of the events, because you, if you look at pictures, it is horrific. It is horrific. I'll tell you what, I love the 4th of July until I went into the military. I dread this day. Because I know for two weeks up, whew, I am on edge. I, the other night, someone decided, and they've been just, it's random. But for me, it is like being straight back over in a combat zone. I remember this last, this last week, I shot straight out of bed. 
And I, I still have my Kevlar vest by me, and I like, automatically like, reach for it. And I thought, we are not there. But then, my birthday is the day after. So, it used to go like this. Party on the 4th of July, and hey, it's your birthday. Now you get to sleep in. Now it goes, get stressed out on the 4th of July, and try and listen to as much noise-canceling classical music as you can, and be tired on the 5th. But for me, humanity, having seen it, humanity left alone and not following God, not being a verb, can do some horrific things. Moving forward, how many of you have ever wondered why the Nazis were allowed? I'm not saying by people, but why were the Nazis allowed? If any of you have taught history or know history, or as a Bible teacher, this is one of the biggest questions that comes to, to life. When kids see the prolific pictures, what the Nazis did, they ask, how can a loving God allow this? Have you ever thought about it? What's ironic is, is America up until 1944 did not want to believe, and I'm not saying the general population, but they did not want to believe that this happened. We started getting, at the end of World War II, we started to seeing that it was actually about the Jews. Do you get what I'm saying? We originally did not care. We turned away boats full of Jews. We did we stopped, we actually didn't declare war on Hitler, he declared war on us. Do you realize that? So, Japan attacked us and we're angry about that. But you know what's sad? December 7, 1941, December 7 came around this year. I looked at my students, I said, hey, do you know what day it is today? And they said, school day? <laughs> For me, I'm a history nerd. But even September 11th has become this. Oh, that, yeah, something happened, didn't it? For me, I know exactly when and where I was at on September 11th. And I remember looking at Afghanistan and thinking I'm going to go there. Never did I realize that, hey, I might actually go there. But have you ever wondered how such cruelty can happen? Now what I'm about to share with you, I'm going to challenge you to go research. Because there is more spiritually that surrounded Nazi regime and the world at that time than most people realize. Okay, Germany, I find, it, I find it a blessing, and I know God likes to orchestrate, and he encourages me when uh, God up here special music, which Frank, by the way, that was a good job on the tambourine. It really was. There is, no, people don't think, but there is actually an art to it. Like, you can't just get up there and do it. It was a good job. I enjoyed it, and the guitar, phenomenal. It is a mighty bulwark. Because Germany was the most Christian country up until World War II. It was. You, the people were required, yes, but the people wanted to. Do you get what I'm saying? They were proud to be Lutheran. Do you get what I'm saying? They were proud to be reformers. They were. And so the question is, why out of a country that was the most Christian and the most theologically important at that time, our the important theologians at the time did not come, and they still impact us today, did not come from America, did not come from anywhere else except for 
Germany, Karl Barth. Have you ever heard of him? Karl Barth, German. A lot of other dudes that I can't think of their names came from Germany as well. Seriously. This one guy even had the theory that the Bible was not correct, but he was still a theologian. That's like most today biblical archaeologists or atheists. It confuses me. How? How? But he was a theologian, and he came up with that you cannot take the Bible literally, any of it. I'm like, okay, that, that kind of defeats the purpose. But he was important, because he's still affected today. How many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay, I am, this is what happened. I have a book problem, but when I was early on in college, this book, Pastor, Martyr, Spy, changed my life. I had no idea who uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was. I was in Barnes & Noble. I was bored. I saw this book just come out. It had that, you know, that red 30% off sticker, which on my head says, buy me. I was like, hey, this looks amazing. So I bought it, and I read it. Now, usually what happens is like I described with movies. I read, and then I go and start another book. And I'll start another book, and then I'll come back, read, start another book, read. I go back and forth. This one? All 400 pages in one weekend. And then that started on to me, and I want you to be aware, I am 100% Seventh-day Adventist, okay? I don't want anyone walking away going, he's a Lutheran plant. No. But if you notice, Ellen White passed away in 1913, and up until that, I call it the spiritual darkness. If people don't look, oftentimes, for us, important spiritual events kind of end in the early 1900s, late 1800s, am I correct? We don't look for spiritual things after that. But if you look at World War II, I tell you what, God was heavily involved. So here's some things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was born in 1906, the 4th of February. He was born to a world-renowned psychologist. His dad never became Christian. Mm -mm. But guess what? How different the days are from now. His mother was royalty, or a nobility, uh, German nobility. She also, her father, was a minister, an evangelist, very well known in Germany and throughout the world. And he, his father, was, guess what? A minister, evangelist, and very well known theologian. Uh, theologian. They got married. It is said, and it's amazing, that someone that's not Christian, and a world, like he, he's still today, we use him in psychology. Um, I'm just terrible with names, I'm sorry. But he... Well, taught at the universities, and she stayed at home. They had a lot of kids. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a twin. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his family were raised to be important in music. They loved music. But guess what? Even though the dad did not believe in God, do you think he stopped the kids and the mom? No. He encouraged it. He took them to church. He dropped them off. He even would take part in family worships, even though he did not lead it out. Guess what he would do? He would sit in the room with them to set an example that I want you here. So all the while, World War II comes along. Dietrich Bonhoeffer loses a brother. I mean, World War I. Dietrich Bonhoeffer loses a brother. If you ever haven't done research, World War I changed the world. I like to say it was the start of us losing our innocence. Basically, World War I was, if we can think of it, let's try it. It's grotesque. 
that is really when PTSD, we started noticing something. It was back then, it was called shell shocked. Okay? I like to call it 4th of July shocked, but shell shocked. So then Dietrich Bonhoeffer grows up, and you gotta remember, he was grown up with privilege, but his parents had lots of money, but they did not allow their kids to be entitled. They had to work, they lived on a farm, they took them in the woods, cabins, everywhere else. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer ends up, by the time he's 21, he has his PhD. He knows Greek fluently, Latin fluently, and he's considered a rising star in theology. 21. How many of you have your PhDs? Mr. Reeve, you got to get on that. I know for me, I read that book and I was 22 and I was like, competition, I can't have it. No, but I, 21, okay? And he was challenged because he was there in Berlin and he was challenged. He, everyone wanted him. All the colleges wanted him for theology. But this is what he goes and, goes and does. He then goes on a tour. He goes to America. And at that time, in the 1920s and 30s, African Americans could not drink at the same drinking fountains, right? They couldn't go to the same latrines, bathrooms. They couldn't do a lot that we could. Okay? There's one circumstance. Now, coming from Europe, guess what? Instead of African Americans, it was Jews. We didn't like African Americans uh, in America at that time, but we also didn't like Jews too. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when he came over, he actually went to Harlem, and he went into a coffee shop, and he, had, he was invited over by one of his friends they had gotten to know that had gone to Germany and had invited him over, and he was uh, to take part in an African-American uh, church there for about a year or two. And so he goes into a coffee shop. He invites his friend into the coffee shop. He didn't understand what whites only meant. And he gets in this theological debate with the owner until he pulls out a shotgun. And he goes, well, gun, guns will win any theological debate ever. So they leave. But for him, he was shocked by America. Because he says, you're supposed to be the land of the free. Uh, you, you guys are supposed to be on the forefront. What happened? Well, he's in America. And Adolf Hitler, by this time, you know, no one is scared of Adolf. And they know what's happening, correct? There's this thing called the Aryan Paragraph. Which, if you understand it, most of us would fail. You had to be German stock, or make up German stock, to be allowed into church. Now see, Adolf Hitler was not stupid. You take a super Christian country, what do you have to presume to be? Super Christian. So Adolf Hitler did this. He, it sounds like a great idea, right? He took all the churches, but we need one church. So they made the Reich Church. And all of the people that um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had grown up with, who he looked up to, pastors, theologians, and guess who they joined? Adolf Hitler. And he said, what do we do about the Aryan paragraph? Because I cannot stand behind it. Karl Barth ended up leaving, going to Switzerland. And others uh, ended up uh, either leaving or taking part. Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually was pulled in by the Reich, and he was threatened. You know that passive-aggressive, you know, like, maybe you haven't been in that situation, but you definitely know, like, you're either going to die, but they're being passive about it. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, guess what? He made sure his feet were in the right place by the word of God, and he stood firm. But he was in a conundrum, because he's in America, and guess what? 
No one's happy. No one's free here. But he's struggling because guess what? He's free, right? So in 1938, he made the decision. He was actually invited to stay indefinitely until the world sort, as they put it, sorted this thing out. He was invited to stay in America. He was free. He was safe. But to him, it was not the right thing to do. So what he did, he ended up going back to London. And there, everyone said, London had a little bit more together than America. And they said, guess what? We, we want you to stay. Like, come on, dude. Don't do this. You are a blessing. You're, you're an academic. You're a theologian. You're bright. You're noble. You have money. He said, no. He goes back to Germany. There, he starts what's called the Confessing Church. The Confessing Church was an underground church and movement that took just anyone who wanted to know about Jesus and be a theologian who wouldn't accept Hitler and his church, because at that point, could you be any other besides a Hitler Christian? No, in Germany. And so he said, no, we are not going to fall that way. And so seminary after seminary, church after church, kept getting persecuted and shut down and taken over. But guess what? Here's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I can't emulate how important this guy was. He would have been like a rock star to us today. And yet here he is in the filth, moving from building to building. Here's some quotes by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. My iPad will come off vacation. We are not simply to bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. But I want to stick to that. Most people would say, what does that mean? Oh, that means me getting on social media and guess what, posting a bunch of stuff, right? That's driving that spoke in there getting in there. And yet, most of the people that are doing the injustice don't even use social media. Or, what does that mean? That, that means not involving being a Christian. That means, you know, just picking and choosing, right? No, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying, no, it takes sacrifice. It takes actually following Jesus. That is driving the spoke. Because what he was saying is the wheel of injustice is life itself, the world. We all exist in this wheel of injustice. Guess what? Each one of you here today is in that wheel. It is not fair. We didn't choose to eat the apple or whatever fruit it was. Is it just that we're sitting here with cancer, with, with, with broken bones, PTSD and scars and emotional, physical? Is it fair? That's injustice. But he said, how do you shove a rod into that cart? By following Jesus. Then he also said this, and this is key, and I think it sticks to us today. The ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to its children. You know, Pastor Talay, he's been up here, and something that hit me is when he said, what will they say about you after you die? I'm just going to be a little morbid. I've thought about this, okay? Because, you know, being 18 and thrown into a combat zone, you real quickly grow up, and you think, what is the world going to think about me? Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wanted to leave the world a better place. And to him, though, if you read his writings and you read his papers and his poems, he did not think he was going to do that. But that's what he strove for. Do you get what I'm saying? Everyone at that time in Germany, it was like that bushel over their light. They could not see past it. It was a phenomena that had grown that they thought was going to take over the whole world. 
He also says this, when Christ calls a man or woman, he bids him to come and die. Do you realize the command that Jesus gives us? We've talked about in the youth Sabbath school a little bit. Come follow me or pick up your cross daily, as it says in Luke, daily and follow me. That doesn't mean being the great wishy-was. That doesn't mean when you see a fight in the vintage fair mall or you see a homeless person getting beat up or hungry or you see something ridiculous or a, a baby falling over and hitting their head and their parents not responsible enough to be around is pulling out your phone and filming it. That's the wishy-was. What it says is you as a Christian, and this cuts to me too, is being bold, like it says in Proverbs, as a lion. Being a Dietrich Bonhoeffer and seeking good, seeking justice, having compassionate, and following God. Because I tell you what today, what Elder Florence said is true. Our world is crazy, and it doesn't tie back to a president. You can go to any country in the world, and it is getting restless. And you know what it's getting restless for? The coming of Jesus. Because I tell you what, as Paul knew the truth. We are not warring against just normal anything. We are warring against beings that have seen more than we've seen. They're smarter than us. But guess what? We have Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, sadly, he was hunted down and, um, ironic enough, he almost evaded capture. They mistook his identity several times, but finally, bureaucracy caught up with him. He was asked for his papers, and instead of presenting fake papers, he handed over real papers. Now, why was he caught? Because he finally came to the, 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 the belief that if I do nothing, that is as bad as me taking part in what is happening in Germany. So he helped the conspiracy, because you've got to believe, not all Germans were Nazis. People actively sought to kill Adolf Hitler. There was over 42 attempts on Adolf Hitler's life. If you read them, you see that Adolf Hitler was kept around for a reason. Did you know, have you ever noticed Adolf Hitler kind of like sits like this when he's talking? He actually had a steel plate in his head, like his hat. You know that big hat? If you notice in public, he was always wearing a hat, correct? It's because there was a steel plate in his aircraft, his personal aircraft. It was enclosed and encased with its own air filter and air filtration system. That whole airplane could blow up and it had a parachute. Guess what? Everyone else could die, but Adolf Hitler couldn't. Adolf Hitler was, was attempted to be blown up several times. These equipment were fail-safe. The men would, would, would and unfortunately it was suicide bombing, but these generals and stuff that did not want this were not comfortable with it. They would load themselves up with explosives. The explosives would not go off, even though the timer was set, it was going. It would not go off around Adolf Hitler, but guess what happened as soon as Adolf Hitler got off the aircraft or away from them? It would go off. Now, most people would be like superstitious or it was fail-safe, but 42 times? So what is God trying to teach us? God is trying to teach us that we can call ourselves the best Christians ever and the worst evil can still prevail. Adolf Hitler killed 6 million people. Joseph Stalin, 36. Who's the worst enemy? So you combine the evil that existed then and you look at today. And if any of you have read what Ellen White says about the last days, it should startle you. 
Because if you have researched concentration camps, what happened to the slaves, what happened under the gulags and other uh, individuals in history, she says that the last days will be tougher than anyone has experienced in their life. I spent time in the Middle East, and I saw what people can do to each other over faith and religion. I remember walking away from there and thinking, whose side is God on? How many of you have stopped to think, am I following Jesus 100%? I had a first sergeant that once told me, all of us were, he was like, how, how much are you going to give me today? And we're like, oh, 110%. You know, we're amped. Yeah. Ooh, uh. And he goes, all right, I want you to go run for, uh, I want you to go run the whole day. And we're like, what? And he told me, you can't give me 110%. The human body is only capable of 100%, and that's all I want. I don't want 99.9%. I want 100%. And he told me, if you give me 110%, you're not being honest with me. So are we giving Jesus 100% every moment of every day? Whether we're privileged or we're suffering, it doesn't matter. Are we doing what's right? Are we planting our feet in the right spot and standing firm? Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Abraham Lincoln knew the cost. It meant death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed, executed, two weeks before the Americans liberated his camp. And his guard said, I have never seen a man die that is so submissive to the will of God. And you want to know, ironically enough, who Dietrich Bonner's cell cellmate was at Flossenburg? It was the doctor who orchestrated some of the worst human atrocities against the Jews and others in testing. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote... Although this man may gross me, or I may detest this individual, I know that Jesus loves him. So I must too. So we prayed for him. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I read this, and I'll admit, uh, I got emotional. A, I was convicted. Because here I am thinking I'm socially unjust at times, or I'm like, oh, my car broke down and there's no AAA. Or other stuff, you know, uh, huge issues. And I'm thinking, what have I given up or sacrificed? And then it cut to the chase when Jesus said, you aren't giving me 100%. And I'll be honest, brothers and sisters, today I look around and are we giving 100%? Or are we just living the cheap grace? I'll leave us with this. The keyboard pops up. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man and woman must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us, us all of us, to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man and woman his life. And it is grace because it gives a man and woman the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, this keyboard. Above all, 
It is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were brought at, bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life. But delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. And then, I want to leave you with this Bible verse. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James 4.17 I want to challenge you today. I love this church, and I love this church family. I haven't been a part of it uh, very long. But one reason why I picked this church is because when you walk in here, it's genuine. And I'm going to be 100% honest. I am a sinner, and like, like Paul, I am chief among sinners. I struggle with it every day. The worst thing is, I know Jesus forgives me, but do I forgive myself? But I want to challenge each and every one of you. Whether the day is great or the day is bad, are you following Jesus? Are you giving him 100%? Whoever is in front of you, are you showing them 100% of Jesus? Whatever circumstance you are in, are you dealing with it 100% like Jesus? And are you dedicating and surrendering 100% to his grace? Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for each and one of these brothers and sisters. I thank you for the blessing. Lord, uh, forgive me if I've been long-winded, but Lord, you are amazing. My words do not do justice. I thank you for the sacrifice so many have made to, to show us your way. Lord, today, uh, to be honest, I think the world's confused. You're not confused. Satan's not confused, but the world is. Because we have been the great wishy-was for too long. Lord, I know that we have to pick a side. And today, silently as I pray here, I ask that you fill this room with your Holy Spirit and convict. Let us surrender 100%, and if we have, just sustain us to whatever end that may come. Lord, to you a thousand years is a blink of an eye and one year is just an atom. But I thank you. Lord, I ask that you be with us and protect us. And Lord, as it's the 4th of July, be with those that uh, it's a celebration. And like myself, I am glad it's a celebration, but sustain us. Lord, thank you for everything that you've done. Be with our leaders, for they need you. They may not know it and they may not show it, but they need you. Help us to accept and surrender and die to your will every day, whether we agree with it or not. Help us to do the right thing. Help us to go and follow you. In your name, amen.